Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is a podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist and coach, and also TEDx and keynote speaker, author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym, and that's your source of all kinds of information regarding positive psychology, my own particular spin on it that I call goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, general information about wellness and well-being, and it's also the place where you can communicate with me and even suggest guests for future podcasts. As listeners to the podcast know, my goal is to bring you featured uh, presenters who are able to tell us, not just educate us, but who lead their own lives enthusiastically from various directions and tell us different ways we can become better versions of ourselves. Sometimes it's kind of in a mini area that uh, we can each improve at, at our own rate, but sometimes, like today, we're going to learn about how we can change the world in the right way. So it's really great to welcome Dr. Ruth Backstrom. And she's going to uh, be talking to us about a topic that we may not think about enough, although it affects us every day. Uh, Dr. Backstrom is a trained coach in the dynamic facilitation technique, a method that's designed to help people address and solve impossible-seeming issues by working together collaboratively to achieve shifts and breakthroughs for large communities and entire systems of society. So I'm not kidding when I say we, we want to change the world today. Previously, she spent 10 years working as a community advocate for more sustainability and a champion for creating a food policy council. She holds degrees from the University of Iowa and Columbia University. And she just a few days ago had a book published called Igniting a Bold New Democracy, Empowering Citizens Through Game-Changing Reforms. Ruth offers a solution that has the potential to reform politics as we know it by using proven facilitation tools to see new and inspiring conversations with citizens groups to bring the majority of us together around a new vision. So civic involvement is kind of the forefront of what Dr. Ruth does. So we're really looking forward to this conversation. We expect to learn a lot of things and maybe even get changed in the next half hour or so. so uh, Ruth, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. So much looking forward to our conversation. Yes, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Great. Well, let's, you know, as we look at what you do, first thing I think about is, you know, are you too idealistic for what's going on in the world now? And I'm just wondering I mean, I look at the United States where we are and virtually every other country where 
it's not an autocrat who's who's ruling it and, and setting the rules, but wherever there's democracy and relative forms of government like that, there seems to be, you know, a degree of polarization that I don't remember until fairly recently. Uh, so I'm wondering, how, how, did, how did we get this way? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I, we got that way because the people's voice got pushed out through special interests. And I, I go through that in my book. You know, once special interests came in, there was less attention to the people. But the good news is that there are citizen assemblies that are cropping up all across the world. And the way a citizen assembly works is you convene 100 people from various backgrounds. You try and make it representative, actually, of, of the country that you're serving in. And they're mostly climate assemblies that have happened, although the interesting thing is they've grown into other topics as well. But these climate assemblies have been very successful, and they've, they've been going on from Washington State all the way to um, Australia. So all across the world, there's this revitalization going on in terms of citizens coming together and coming up with their own thoughts about an issue. And this has been so exciting for citizens because a lot of times we feel kind of like we're in the back sided. You know, everybody says, I don't feel like I have any, have, my input doesn't matter. I don't really, I'm disenfranchised, basically, everyone says. Mm. And this is an experience that's been really great at revitalizing um, democracy everywhere it's touched, basically. Well, I'm wondering, I mean, this is fairly new to me. Is there some overall organization, or if, if I wanted to get involved, uh, how does it happen? Yeah, well, it's usually convened by, like, Washington State, let's start there. They convened it, the state itself convened it, but it, it really starts sort of the 2004, where the first um, citizen assemblies, and then Ireland also developed it. Ireland took off when they looked at the abortion issue. And they actually decided to change their policy on abortion. And this was through a citizen assembly. And this guy, O'Leary, was really responsible for that. And they, they got, it became so popular in Ireland so that now that when there's a dispute between these two sides, they go, oh, let's have an assembly. Because it gives politicians the cover to do the things that they should be doing anyway, particularly in the, assembly, in the climate area. So the goal then is to have an influence on policy or uh, yes, I'm assuming absolutely. it's more than just talking about it. So. Right, right. You want to have, you need to have a receptive administration that's going to do something with the policies. And that's been an area of contention, as you might imagine. And the UK, people felt, wasn't run with the kind of understanding that you're going to really take these policies on. Whereas Poland, they did one, and they started it with the premise that anything that 80% of the people agree on, they're going to implement. And so this is, the, this is kind of the thing, is that legislators have to be willing to really listen to the people. But the interesting thing is that they're kind of relieved. Like in Ireland, they're like, we're just fighting over this. Can we get another voice in here? And the voice of the people tends to be pretty straightforward. It's like, we want to live on a planet. Big surprise, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I guess isn't that the way democracy is supposed to work? Is... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, I think there is a way in which we need to get it to be 
And we need to get the, get into them in many different ways. An interesting one they did in Melbourne, for instance, is the city opened up its state budgeting and said, you know, we have too many deficits. Can you help us handle what we should do? Which is like so unimaginable. I mean, it's hard to imagine a city in the United States, for instance, opening its books to the people and saying, hey, can you help us figure out how to handle our budget? But they came up with great recommendations. You know, they were very innovative and you know, it wasn't just cut these things. It was also, how can we bring more revenue in? And they were so excited about it. This one woman was in labor and she was calling in her ideas from the delivery off. You know, It's like people really want to be engaged. They're really excited when they're given these opportunities. Well, let's assume that I want to be engaged. I live in Philadelphia, which I think like a lot of big cities, you know, there seems to be some disconnect or some distance between me and, and the government. You know, I, you know, trash does get picked up to some extent. The streets get reasonably clean and so on. Uh, but, you know, uh, th there's a lot of things that I have some complaints about. Is there some central place or some person or some national? Well, there, yeah, there are these, there are. So there's, yeah, that's a great question. So there's different, so there's different forms of these. So these citizen assemblies are big, expensive. They're kind of a large ordeal. If you wanted to do a smaller ordeal, there's something called a citizen's jury that can handle a more discreet task. And that's, there's a center called the Jefferson Center that um, organizes that. I can send you some of these links too. But what you could do is you could start talking to people who disagree with you or, and find some points of consensus on these things and that, that they're, you're both interested in solving these problems. And how could we get together and create a citizen's jury on this topic? Mm -hmm. And and then will, will it be received? You really want to set up something so you know it's going to be received. That's part of the really important process. And let me dial back for a minute and talk about dynamic facilitation, which was started by Jim Ruff in Washington State, and how that's been used in, um, in Austria, in a small state in Austria. And what they did is they just have this random selection of 15 people, and they're given a topic that the, the municipality wants the voice of the people on. And so they convene this assembly for a weekend, and then they come up with what the what the people would like. And I'll give you a specific example. So they wanted to look at immigration and they wanted the voice of the people on this. So they convened a group of 15 people and they started talking about it. And somebody said, well, we should, we should really see the people behind these numbers. So that kind of stirred everybody's compassion. And that's what happens with groups. I mean, groups are kind of an ancient thing, you know, when you think about it. There is this sort of collective wisdom that can come together in a really well-functioning group. And that's what happens a lot of times with dynamic facilitation. And so that sort of stirred their passion. But then somebody said, well, I want them to get jobs. I mean, I don't think they deserve jobs. They're just coming over here, you know, sort of freeloaders or something. And the facilitator well, why do you think that? Because in dynamic facilitation, what you do is you take in all the, point, the points of view and you go deeper to get at the real root of what's going on. And the person said, well, my niece has been like trying to get a job for two years. Why should these people be able to get, come in and get jobs? And they said, well, we could open up these job fairs to everyone. So she would have access to them too. 
And so then he was satisfied. He felt heard and he felt a solution to his problems. And, and that's a thing. You can sometimes weave these concerns together if you're working in a really high functioning way as a group. So in a group, then, is there a dynamic facilitator? Is that right. is, there is. Is yes. directing it in a particular way to, to kind of enhance this group interaction? Right. It's a, it's, a, it's a non-linear process that kind of follows the conversation and weaves in the concerns of everybody in the room. Mm -hmm. And so they started this process in 2005. And by 2015, it had been so successful that it made they made it they institutionalized it. They made it something that occurs every year. They they call forth the voice of people on at least one or two topics every year. And so that's a that's a nice, easy kind of thing to get wrap your head around in terms of an example. But I also want to talk a little more about this idea of collective intelligence, because I think this is a really important part. This is what I think of as our next step of evolution. I gave this talk and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I think this is our next step of evolution. And I said, yeah, I think so, too, which is being able to work well in groups. And there's been a lot of research on this. We think of individuals like working in the zone we talk about, but groups have their zone, too. And what the research shows is if you set up a sense of safety, you can have these really deep conversations that wouldn't come out on otherwise. And Judith Glazier, who wrote the book Conversational Intelligence, used this in the workplace. So that was a really interesting study because the bottom line is they wanted to make more money. And she took, for instance, a company like Clairol at a time when you know, natural dyes were coming in and it was kind of competitive. They didn't know what to do. Their sales were going down. And she turned them around. They went from being a million-dollar company to being in the billions because the conversation, the culture changed through these conversations that got deeper and more penetrating, and they could solve problems more. Very interesting. And as you're you're talking, though, uh, really got me kind of interested in your own journey for uh, you know, because this isn't. Uh, least and I'm much older than you but when I was in school I don't think this is an area that that you could major in or stuff like that so I no. just wonder no. how how you got to be who you are at this point right so that story that story begins a long time ago it starts when I was 13 years old actually and I um was going through a neighbor my, actually five years before that I was driving through a neighborhood uh, African-American low-income neighborhood. And I was like, why, why is there this inequality here? And I was really disturbed. And my mother didn't really answer my questions in a way that was satisfying to me. And so then five years later, I got involved in the civil rights movement. And I went on a march to get the, the Chicago public schools integrated. At the time, I was going to a school that was 90% African-American. And they had, it was like twice the capacity of students that it should have had. So they had upstairs cases and downstairs cases to handle the overflow. So I knew uphand, you know, personally, the problems with not having an integrated school system when you were trying to load so many kids in a small school. So I got down there and I um, joined the march and I looked across the way and Dick Gregory, who's a famous comedian of those times, 
was getting beaten up. And I saw these like scalp wounds with blood, you know, pouring down. And it was, as a 13 year old, that was kind of shocking to me, of course, because the police I thought would be protecting us, not beating us, you know. And so I, I sat down and I sort of sat next to my friend and linked arms and said, you know, hold on tight, because I was worried, you know. And the uh, cop pointed at me and said, I'll get that one, because he took, he took it as, as an adversarial remark. At which point I got up and I said, I'm walking into the paddy wagon. And so I did. But it stayed with me that sense of what the civil rights movement took and the courage that it took to do those things and how we have to stand behind that and continue to improve our society to this day. And that's, of course, one of the questions I look at in my book is why wasn't there more progress around these issues? And so... That's where it's so my concern for this idea of how do you create a better society goes way back. Very interesting. Uh, since you mentioned the book, and I do have to say, because of the timing when it just came out, uh, this is it's coming out March 30th, actually. It hasn't quite yeah, come, but we'll, we'll be it will have come out when we when we show this, but right because of when we're doing this interview and when it's coming out, it's one of the few that when I've interviewed an author where I haven't read the book. Uh, so just for my own interest, as well as the, the audience and potential purchasers of the book, can you give us a kind of Cliff Notes version of what uh, what's in it? What's it all about? Yes, I can. I Hopefully will. So um, I talk about the need for courageous leaders in the first section who can take us into what I call a bold new democracy, which really addresses the needs of the 21st century. Our democracy, in a way, is stuck back in time and sort of gridlocked where it is. And we're working with an 18th century document. It's like we need to really rethink some of these things and modernize them. And so the first thing is to look at courageous leaders who can take us forward, who are not afraid of going into the forward. And then the second thing is to look at movements, the power of movements. Movements, I think, give us a taste of the future that we want. And that's the power of movements, is that they kind of propel us forward to go towards that future. And then the third part is game-changing conversations, which I talk mostly about. And the idea is that you can shift a conversation in such a way that people really change their perception. And the great example is the GI Bill of Rights, which I talk about in my first chapter, and how we sent like 7.8 million veterans to college. This was for free. And this was unheard of at, at the time. This was like most people were not going to college. They were not getting homes. They, had, they also got subsidized homes to the point of $2.4 million. It has made a thriving middle class. And we learned something from doing this. It's considered one of the greatest sociological experiments we ever did. And what we learned is if you invest in people, it pays off in spades. And we need to do it again. Every dollar we invested, there was a $7 repay because of that. So that's a really big piece of what I want, too. I want people to get, you know, I want the quality of life to increase as we invest in people like we did in the past. And then is is the vision if, if when when enough people are reading you and listening to you and stuff, it's the vision that it's kind of an ongoing process, or is there uh kind of a vision that 
we're going to get to some point and you and this is what you see as the future if if we have enough of these discussions and so yes that's right i talk about a 21st you know embracing the 21st century basically and what the future we have to change a lot of things we're in this period of huge transition which i go to in detail and we have to change all these systems so we need to come together and start redesigning the new systems that we need and that's where civic involvement is really important i also talk about not only citizen assemblies but civic learning hubs, because we have to become a learning society that learns these new ways of operating. And this could be an exciting thing where if we engage people in the process and they feel like they're part of the process, instead of feeling like they're being dragged along, this could be a much more powerful approach, is what I'm suggesting. And for example, what if we thought about each state taking a problem and coming up with a civic assembly to address that problem? For instance, Rhode Island has been doing a lot on the front of homelessness, which is something that I find really painful to watch and see. And they could come up with, well, here's the civic agenda for that. What I want in the end is a civic agenda that addresses you know, our major problems. It's put together by citizens. Instead of always shoehorning our vote into one party or the other, what if we actually came together and created our own agenda that could drive us forward into this 21st century? And how receptive has the movement caught on with, with others? I mean, are, are you pleased? Well, the climate change, so I've talked to a number of climate change people who are very excited, and they're, they're aware of these citizen assemblies because it's right in their domain, of course, mm -hmm. and they've seen how powerful they are. Okay, so there's a lot of receptivity, I think, and all the citizens I talk to are delighted about the idea. And so there's a lot of receptivity. It's just, you know, it's just a new idea and it needs to kind of get warmed up out there, which is what I'm trying to do, basically. Great. Well, I, I think one of the ways to spread the word is have more people purchase and read your book. So where where can, first of all, I'll go over the title again and where can it's, they get it? So it's Igniting a Bold New Democracy, Empowering Citizens Through Game-Changing Reforms. So I think that if we could pick some critical reforms, it would change our democracy, like taking money out of politics. That would make a huge difference. It would unravel so many of our problems. So I think we should start with really talking about some of these critical things that if we could shift them, we could have a major shift. Mm -hmm. And it's available March 30th. You can go to my website, Ruth Backstrom, that's B-A-C-K-S-T-R-O-M.com. And it, you can sign up to be notified of the, of the launch there and there'll be a link for getting the book and stuff. But that's the easiest way to really get it. Okay, and I know you do have this really interesting website that presents more information about it uh and uh where else can people find out about you are you on social media or yes that's right i'm on linkedin ignite democracy and facebook also okay great and if you get us uh the name before too long the name of the uh you said it was the jefferson group or yes i can i can not uh, I we can, can have it in the show notes if we Okay. Yes, there's several different uh, organizations that I can give you the names of here. Do you want me to drop them in the chat after we're done? Well, 
dropping them in the chat won't do any good. <laughs> Just send it to me because okay. once once this thing closes off, um, I'll need it, uh, you know, separately, and we'll get it included yeah. in the show notes so that people can can right. follow up. Other than that, I mean, it's really uh, exciting and, and as you indicate, a, a bold idea that uh, I'm sure is new to a lot of people as it was to me. And, you know, I think that, you know, we always grew up uh, in school uh, talking about, you know, the importance of being active citizens. And again, with the polarization that's taking place in the world, uh, I, I think a lot of people have given up on the notion that that they can actually have a meaningful voice. And uh, but I suspect the majority of the people are kind of in your camp, e even if they haven't acted on it yet. So this gives us some real good guidance for doing that. Yeah. Everybody says to me, you know, I I would really like to be able to have the middle speaking more often instead of hearing from the extreme so much. That's the one thing I get, one message I get a lot from people. Yeah, well, they would like, this would be a chance for the middle to really get a voice, a, bit, a bigger voice in these kinds of assemblies. Yeah, well, I totally assume that uh, the extremes do not represent the majority and, uh, you know, reasonable people do want things to work. So uh, I think this is a, a real great, step in that direction and i think people should think too that individually you can make a difference too like it's really important to keep in mind that you don't have to have a particular personality or a particular orientation to be powerful in the world just lean into your best talents and the best example of that is greta thunberg who's 15 years old and asperger's syndrome and she's like one of the world leaders and so don't let anything stop you from thinking that you can be powerful in the world. yeah it's a good point that if you have a particularly strong opinion about something uh, or a medium opinion about something, but it's, it bothers you enough that people do do actually wind up changing the world if, if they are willing to be persistent in getting their, their opinion out. And uh, like you said, I mean, most people are in the middle. So if you feel strongly about something, there's probably a Good chance that there are a lot of other people feeling the same way and just waiting for you to to start the ball rolling. That's right, and especially especially the elderly have a lot of wisdom they need to share. We're not always so good in our culture at passing wisdom on from one generation to another, to another. And that's one of the things about this book too. I feel like it gives them a little of the taste of the history of the '60s. So it's like passing on some of the wisdom from those those times. And, and it's really important that we can kind of give that, pass that wisdom on, and we can also put wind in the sails of the next generation. Yeah. It's not, it's, I don't think it's good that we've straddled them with so much debt when they have this democracy that's wobbly and a planet that's on life support. We need to free them from that, put wind in their sails. Yeah, and as you mentioned this, I mean, I think it's one of the things that also is is a great opportunity for working together between the generations because it's not uh, you know some of the the most important issues in the world are not age limited but <laughs> sure. uh, to care about the planet and the world uh, that again it, it enables people 
just like you were a teenager when you started getting involved in this, it enables people to go across the generations and work together, make a real difference. So I'm really right. And it took me many years to write a book. So <laughs> it just takes well, a while sometimes. Well, hopefully the second one will come about sooner. Uh, I think so. But I really, really appreciate your spending the time sharing your wisdom with us and, uh, getting a lot of us thinking about some new ways of getting involved and really making a change that ultimately can snowball and have a real impact on the world. Uh, because many of us have ideas that are pretty well shared with others. So if, if we don't just let other people at the extremes make decisions for us, this world can be a better place. And, and Reading the book would be a good place to start. So we'll have. Yeah, that's right. And, and we and I, I think I will set up book groups, too, to talk about the book, because I think that would be really helpful. So okay. there'll be opportunities. I'm going to create opportunities for people to talk on my website. So okay. if you're interested in something like that, you can message me on my site. The website. So, yeah, again, we'll get have all this information in the show notes and hopefully we'll be a part of a process that gets things going in the right direction. Yeah, that would be great. That would be so helpful. And I appreciate so much what you're doing too. I think the information that you're sharing is really important too, because um, we sometimes sort of slack off as we get older and we forget that we can be out there doing really exciting things. Well, thank you. And thank you for sharing this tremendous information with, with our audience. Really look forward to uh, seeing you more of you and your ideas out in the world and uh very best of success on on the book and book sales and its impact on the world and, thank you and thanks for sharing that time and information with us today thank and, you for having me ron and that ends another episode of rejuvenating with dr ron kaiser our special guest dr ruth backstrom and her kind of kicking off in many of our minds the idea that we can really make a difference in getting this world a little more right than than what we're experiencing at this point and that's really you know what what we should all be about and it certainly can help us lead our lives with enthusiasm if in fact we have a sense that things are going in the right direction so again with we thank Dr. Ruth. We do encourage you to uh, listen to the episode again, download it, tell your friends about it, rate it, review it, and then be back next week when we have another really interesting guest that will help us to become better versions of ourselves and make the world a better place. So until then, hope you'll visit the Mental Health Gym website and be back next week. And in the meantime, remember to stay positive and stay safe.